be preaching today from 1 Samuel 15, verses 10 through 23. In order that you would understand the context, I'll begin at the first of the chapter. This is God's word. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And aggrieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spare the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, 
and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Today's passage, we find Samuel carrying a message to Saul, a message of God's judgment against him. The Lord had commanded Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites, its people and its livestock. But Saul and, and the people were unwilling to destroy everything. They spared King Agag, and they kept back the best of the animals. They disobeyed God's direct command, and instead they did what was right in their own eyes. For this reason, the Lord regretted setting up Saul as king. We read and uh, considered that regret last week of the grievous nature of sin, and God rejected him as king. The encounter then that we have today, this encounter between Samuel and Saul, is a very important encounter. It gives a telling description of Saul's disobedience against God. It proves the holiness of God and of his word. It proves God's just judgment to reject Saul because of his disobedience. And it also rises up to be a testimony to us that to obey is better than sacrifice. As we look at Saul's sin today, there are two aspects of his disobedience that rise to the surface. And those aspects serve as something of a contrast today to show us the obedience that God requires of all because of his holiness, but then the obedience that is also ours to offer him out of faith, all to show this point that to obey is better than sacrifice. Let's begin with Saul's sin and and the two natures of that sin that come through have been called by Gordon Ketty self-deception and self-justification. I want to, to, uh, uh, to kind of immerse yourself in the story so that you understand what's going on here. As Samuel searched for Saul, the first thing that he found was that Saul had set up a monument, a monument to himself, uh, rather rather a a good thing to do in one sense when an army has a victory. But when it comes to Saul, we have found over and over again that Saul takes every advantage to advance himself. And so here's this memorial to a victory that God has commanded and granted, but the memorial is not to God, the memorial is to himself. 
which bodes for bad things to come. You see, Saul sees himself as the victor here, and in his own mind, he had fulfilled God's commands. It even comes through in the confident ways in which he welcomes Samuel into into the midst of something of of a celebration. Here comes God's priest. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You can almost feel Saul's kind of bubbling over with the joy of the victory that he has had and the sense of accomplishment. Now, we have the benefit of the entire story, but I want you to imagine if uh, just around the corner you could hear something like Samuel did. And what was that he heard? Well, if you put your hand to the ear, maybe you can hear sheep bleeding. What does the sheep say? Bah, bah. Well, what's that? And then over here, there's a, there's a cow going, moo. What's that? And that's what Samuel says. Why then do I hear animals? You are supposed to destroy them. And Saul begins to explain his obedience. Now, from the story, we know that he had not utterly destroyed Amalek. He was King Agag to prove that. We know that he had not performed the commandment of the Lord. For here are the animals that were supposed to be devoted to the Lord. All the time the animals were making this noise, Saul was defending himself. This proves to be very revealing about about the nature of sin and about our human nature as well. And the aspect of the sin that comes through in Saul's response is this aspect of self-deception. Because apparently Saul believed that he really had done what God commanded him. He was convinced that he had kept God's commandment. Now, there may be several explanations to that. It could be that that he thought that a sacrifice was a good thing. And what do you give to God? You give him the best. You give him the best. And so we'll reserve these best of animals for God. But in doing that, he set aside what God said to implement what he thought would be better. Maybe he was uncomfortable with that, what we saw as a, a, a severe judgment of God, severe maybe from our human perspective, but the just judgment of God to kill all the inhabitants and all of the animals. And maybe he thought uh, that he would, that he would be the dispenser of mercy. Maybe a, uh, uh, maybe he thought, as many do today, that God is lenient. You know, he he w- he went to the 99th, maybe 99.9% percentile of obedience. Amalek was virtually wiped out. They were all gone except for the king. And there were a few animals left, but those were going to be killed too. So surely God will be pleased with this effort and my intentions. Whatever the explanation, 
Whatever the reason, Saul stopped short of obeying all that God commanded him and yet seemed satisfied that he had done what God commanded. I've said before that we tend to shake our heads at Saul. Maybe we even grieve with Samuel over Saul's hard-heartedness and hard-headedness. But let's also stop today and recognize our own guiltiness in similar ways. We too can easily convince ourselves that we are blameless before God. We can do this by redefining sins that we think are are minor, that we think are maybe just societal, or that we think are... Uh, are, are, are places that we judge to be outside of our own interests. We can plug our ears and close our eyes to the clear commandments of God. We can elevate what, what we think is important, what we think is, is, uh, is what God wants, without ever consulting what God has given us to know that, his word. And we can deceive ourselves and celebrate our righteousness, even as Saul did. We deceive ourselves, becoming willfully blind to our own disobedience. Not only do we deceive ourselves, but when the truth comes out, the tendency is to become defensive. And this is the second aspect of Saul's sin that is very telling. Saul sought to justify himself. When Samuel confronted Saul about the animals, let's uh, dive back into the story here and, uh, and listen to what Samuel said. He, he reminds Saul of God's goodness. The Lord is the one who chose you out of the smallest tribe, out of a small family, and he anointed you to be king. He gave you great responsibility to to govern God's covenant people. He, Samuel even then went ahead and rehearsed the explicit commands of God. This is what you were supposed to do. And even as Samuel rehearsed these things, Saul defended himself. He made excuses, and he tried to shift the blame onto other people. Look at verses 20 and 21, and you'll see both the deception and how Saul defends himself. He says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I brought back Agag. I've utterly destroyed the Amaleks. Let me just pause there and, and note the deception that's, uh, that Saul was, seems to still hang on to. He, he still thought he was obedient. But then going on, he says, but the people took of the plunder, the sheep and oxen, the best of the things which which should have been utterly destroyed, and he, he admits that fact there. And they, they did this to, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Well, the people did this. As Samuel's scrutiny starts to focus on Saul, Saul diverts and starts to shift the blame to someone else. 
He implicitly denies his own responsibility and he casts aspersion on on those around them. And if that wasn't enough, he gives an explanation why it would be acceptable. Yes, we did save the best, but those were for sacrifice. It's as if he was saying, and isn't that a good thing? Isn't it, isn't it great that we thought of sacrificing these animals, these best animals, to God? But in saying this, as I noted earlier, Saul deliberately set aside what God commanded him to do. He set that inside in favor of what suited him. And in his mind, it may be that he thought it was a good thing, but in the end, he disobeyed God. He set aside what the Lord had said in favor of what he wanted. In doing so, he was justifying himself as if the ends justified the means. I'll disobey God in order to achieve this greater purpose. Now, no one ever thinks of their their sins as achieving a greater end uh, in in such a clear term. There's always some kind of self-justification that's going on. I have this good end in mind, so it doesn't matter how I get to the good end. I, I know I'll get there. But in the end, just like Saul we too are prone to justify our actions, to set aside the commandments of God in favor of our own definition, which leads to God's judgment. The outline on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that I've identified two aspects of God's judgment. The kind of the end of the day, the judgment of the Lord is to to remove the kingdom from Saul. He's going to still serve for many years, but the kingdom will not be Saul's and, and his children. Instead, the, the Lord is going to tear the kingdom from Saul. And that's in reference to Saul tearing Samuel's robe that, that comes in the next passage. There are two other aspects that come through in this that, that I want you to hear today and to take to heart. The first one really is the thrust and the heart of this passage. That to obey is better than sacrifice. This is part of God's judgment. This is part of God's message to Saul that helps us to understand the judgment and to understand our relationship to a holy God. To obey is better than sacrifice. I pointed out earlier, Saul's sin and ours too is bound up in this aspect of picking and choosing what God has said and being satisfied with that as being obedient. Doing those things that suits us while not consulting what God has told us to do. As you do that, you sit in in judgment on God's word And you sit in judgment on God himself because God has called for obedience. God has called for complete and perfect obedience. Here, the the righteous nature of God 
is, is elevated by this passage. It proclaims that God is holy, completely without sin, completely righteous, and that those who would be in his midst are to be holy as well. That too is a clear command of God. You shall be holy even as God is holy. And the law of God has a purpose of showing that righteousness of God, the holiness of God that belongs to him, that he requires of us. Which leads to a second aspect of the law of God because, brothers and sisters, you know as well as I do that we don't keep God's law. And the law then becomes uh, becomes this this threatening mountain of fire, as John Bunyan describes it. A towering volcano that is poised to fall on you and crush you because the law demands perfect holiness in all of its aspects. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make idols. You shall not lie. You shall not murder. All of God's laws are to be kept, and we do not. And so the law condemns us. You see, obedience is doing more than what suits you. It is doing what what God commands. I'll refer to the children's catechism again, like I did last week. What are the sins of commission and omission? Sins of commission are doing what God forbids. What are the sins of omission? Not being or doing what he requires. We are guilty of both of these things. We do the things that God forbids. We fail to do what he requires. And God in his holiness convicts us of this sin, calling for us to obey. And then we deceive ourselves. And sin loves to do this, and Satan loves to do this. He loves to cloud your eyes to the nature of sin and the holiness of God and the goodness of his law and the goodness of obedience. And he makes it out as if God's commands are burdensome and restrictive. Or he makes you to lose sight of God's word and to to elevate your own desires and your own interests so that so that you set aside God's word and are guided by your own intents and purposes and desires. And I have even had conversations with people who, who, who are doing things the Bible clearly forbids. And they say, I've prayed about this and I'm comfortable with my decision. And I weep when I hear people say that. Now, I hope that you always pray and ask God's Spirit to to guide you in your decisions. But I pray as well that you use what the Spirit has given 
that the Father and Son have given. He's given his word to guide you in your decisions as well. And the Spirit works together with the word so that you would know what that is. And obedience takes delight in his word and earnestly seeks that out and asks God's Spirit to shape us so that we be conformed to his word. And our obedience then is shaped out of our love for a Redeemer who has set us free, who has given us a new heart so that we are enabled to obey. And that obedience then flows out of gratitude for our redemption. If you say, I have prayed about it and have peace, and you are contrary to God's word, your, re- your words ring hollow. You've deceived yourself. The Spirit of God will not lead you to act contrary to his word. Ever. Part of the response of faith is to obey. Salvation is always by grace received by faith. We are not saved by our works. But we do work. We do obey. We do love God's word. In Jesus' own words, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it's part of, uh, of our joy then that the chains have been broken that have bound us in sin and in habits and in rebellion against God. We are free to follow Christ in obedience and out of joy and out of love for our Redeemer. We offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because Christ has redeemed us. And we offer ourselves in obedience, striving to not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To obey is an expression of our faith, expression of our joy and our love for our Redeemer. To obey is better than sacrifice. To that, God adds through Samuel this second aspect, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It is as a sin of witchcraft and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Let me just stop there and ask you what you think of witchcraft. Is that okay? Have you prayed about it and uh, and, uh, it's okay that witchcraft could be practiced? You can make contact with demons. And I'm not joking about witchcraft here. We believe in spiritual beings We believe in demons. Is it okay to practice witchcraft? Well, of course not. And you would rush to say that. What about setting aside God's commands for your own purposes? That's the comparison that God makes here. When you flagrantly disobey, and, and and hear the nuance of that. Um, no one is perfect here. No one will ever be in this life. That's why salvation 
has to be by grace through faith. But when you flagrantly, when you uncaringly set aside God's commands for your own ways, it is rebellion. It is as the sin of witchcraft. It's right out. And Saul, Samuel uses these words so that, that Saul would be shocked and so that you would be shocked out of your self-deception, out of your tendency to justify your actions, so that, so that you would be oriented to Jesus, your Savior, the one who has saved you from your sins by faith and repentance, the one who enables you now to obey out of faith. You see, I, I think that we, we can, can kind of push this to the side and say, well, you know, witchcraft is, is, that, is an obvious sin, and I'm not practicing witchcraft. And there are times where people will openly walk away from the faith that they were raised in. They will openly and completely reject Jesus Christ and even... Uh, write and blog and and uh, and show th- throw shame after shame on the church that they were raised in, but more often is the case where people subtly begin to shift away from the biblical faith that uh, that they were raised in, or the Christian doctrines that are part of our confession. More often, the enemy likes to, to subtly take away from the foundation of the Christian faith so that it is eroded and so that step by step by step, you end up elevating yourself rather than accepting God who is holy and who is the lawgiver. The temptation is to look at our own wants, look at our own desires, to measure our decisions by that, to even pray about that, and when satisfied, without looking at God's word, making that the measure and thinking that God will be pleased. The only way to know of God's approval is obedience. This is the only way to be assured that we are pleasing and serving the living and true God. It is by faith that gives evidence through obedience. In conclusion, I know that this is, this is a, a weighty message. I've described the, the perfect holiness of God. And that's right and true. God is holy, 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 and he calls you to be holy as he is holy. And the weight of the law then does thunder against us and threatens to crush us because of the burden of sin if you are not converted, the conviction that that brings, or even when converted, our own sins rise up to to accuse us. 
And that's a weight that, uh, that does thunder against us. And you should feel the weight of that law because it is an expression of the holiness of God. But at the same time, this also proves another aspect of the law of God, that it leads you to Jesus Christ. The law leads you to Christ because part of what he came to do was to keep the law like you cannot and have not. Part of his redeeming work was to die on the cross, and we rejoice in that because he pays the penalty, but he also obeyed for us. And his righteousness is given to you freely as you believe in him. And you need the sacrifice and the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be justified in God's eyes. Jesus, the sinless one, went to the cross for us. And I love the way that Hebrews quotes from Psalm 40 describing what Jesus came to do. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Does that sound familiar? It goes on. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Part of his incarnation was to obey. Part of his incarnation was to come and as God and man to do what was necessary to obey on our behalf. You've prepared a body for me, says Jesus. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. The volume of the book it is written of me. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It was his delight to obey. And it's his delight to give that to you as part of your justification. And now in response to what Jesus has done, it's part of our delight. It's part of our delight to obey in response. Salvation is always by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But our obedience is is the natural expression of faith that grows up in a living fashion. It grows up not out of duty or obligation or manipulation. It grows up out of joy, out of rejoicing what God has done for us. And may that be your expression today that you offer to God yourself, your obedience Christ has been sacrificed, and we need that sacrifice. What he needs from you is faith, the living faith that obeys as well. I pray that you would hear that warning that this passage gives, the warning of how easily we can deceive ourselves of our own righteousness, how we can cut ourselves off from God's word and set aside his commands in favor of, of our own desires. To obey is better than sacrifice. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do offer ourselves to you as a living and holy sacrifice redeemed by Jesus Christ. And out of hearts that you have set free and made alive by your spirit, we offer up to you the obedience that springs from faith. Well, God, forgive us for 
the self-deception that has clouded our vision of our own righteousness. Forgive us for celebrating how good we are while deceiving ourselves about our own sins. Oh God, I pray that we would pay attention to your word, that we would earnestly desire that and seek it out. We pray that your spirit would lead us. And in the decisions we make, we, we ask that you would guide us by your spirit and by your word. Oh God, forgive us for rebellion, for our own presumption about your ways and your word. Forgive us for denying your power and presence. Forgive us for flagrantly setting aside your your commands. Renew in us a clean heart, O Lord. As you forgive our sins, renew in us a desire and an ability to follow after you in obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing those words from Psalm 40 that describe our Savior Jesus, the one who said, to do your will is my delight. He has obeyed perfectly, and now we genuinely also obey. It is our delight now to obey the Lord. Let's praise him singing Psalm 40, Selection A. Please stand to sing.